we're going to be looking at Ephesians three fourteen to 21. And these verses um, are inspired by the youth ministry that I do. I don't think they inspired Paul, but I don't think Paul was inspired by my youth ministry. But the reason why I'm preaching on them is because of what I do in youth group. I remember it at Philadelphia Biblical University studying uh, youth ministry, reading these verses at one point or another, and they really just, they jumped out to me. And they really, I, I took hold of them because I was like, this is what I want. This is what I want for the students that I minister to. This is what I want for myself. And so, um, They've served as a roadmap for me, the way that I do ministry, the things that I aim for. When I get uh, distracted, when I get frustrated, when I get blinded by my own ego, the Spirit brings me back to these verses, and it serves as kind of like a course correction to, to get back uh, on course and to, to do what Paul prays for, to pray for these things and to aim for these things. So these verses, Ephesians three fourteen to 21, are a prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. But I think it was Paul's prayer for all of the church. And if Paul was around today, I think he would pray these words for the church today. So I think we can take something from them. And I think there's some comfort in the way that Paul prays. Um, Have you ever been distracted while praying? No, right? Just me. Uh, Yes, of course you have. We all have been distracted uh, while praying. And it happens to all of us. Maybe for some of us, it happens more than we'd care to admit, but we get distracted. We start praying, God, thank you for for the beautiful day that you gave me. Thanks for all the blessings that you've poured out in my life. Like like that caramel frappuccino I had from Starbucks. That was delicious. But that guy was like really peppy. That was weird. He was like oddly peppy about giving me my drink. And then there was that guy behind me. He was dressed kind of weird. What am I going to wear tomorrow? I bet I'm going to look good tomorrow. I know what I'll wear tomorrow. I did that shirt that I bought. That's going to look really good. I'm kind of hungry. Maybe I should, I think I'm going to go eat. And we totally forget that that started as a prayer. We just kind of, we get distracted by our own thoughts. We get lost in our own head. And maybe that's just me, but I have a feeling it's not. Uh, and so we get, we get lost in our prayers. And I think as I was looking at Ephesians chapter three, I noticed that Ephesians 3, verse 1, which aren't going to be up on the screen, uh, the first verse, and 14, which will be, they start the same way. Paul says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he just he gets sidetracked right there. And he just talks, talks about their relationship with God and his relationship with them. For verses 2 through 13, He gets sidetracked. And then 14, he comes back and he says the same thing. For this reason, I, Paul, bow my knees before God the Father. He finally gets to the prayer. So he got sidetracked for 13 verses. So we can take comfort that Paul got distracted. Now, I think Paul's distractions were probably different than ours. Uh, His are in the Bible. I don't think ours would reach that level. But Paul got distracted as well. And prayer... Prayer can be a challenging thing. At least for me, in my life, it has been. For others, I know it comes really naturally. For others, it's a struggle. And I I think all of us, even if now in your prayer life, it's something that is fruitful, that feels powerful, and you're you're in a good place, you've probably had some frustrations while praying. Maybe you feel like God wasn't listening for a time. Maybe you find yourself at a loss for what you should be praying for. Are my requests too small for God? Are my requests too big 
for God? Is God even interested in what I'm praying about? And so we can have these doubts. We can have these frustrations when it comes to praying. But then we see throughout Scripture verses uh, in 1 John where we're told that if we pray anything according to God's will, we know that we can have it. Jesus says, ask anything in my name and you will receive it. And we're like, all right, I'm going to get back to this praying thing. This sounds awesome. And then we pray and those verses don't seem to line up. We start praying for things and we still feel like, God, where, where are the answers? Where are the things that you told me I would get? And then we see in James where he tells us that if we ask, but we don't receive, we, or excuse me, James tells us we ask, but we don't receive because we ask selfishly. And so it seems like we need to find where am I asking selfishly and where am I asking according to God's will. But finding that balance can be a struggle. It can be difficult and it can be frustrating and it can drive us away from prayer because we feel like we're not making any progress, any steps forward. But I think there's some places in Scripture where God makes his will very clear for us. Some places where we can, and one practice that I've gotten into is just praying Scripture. That if God makes his will clear what he wants from you, just pray that. Pray those words because we know that's what God wants from us. It takes the guessing out of it. And I think Ephesians three fourteen to 21 is one of those places. When we draw blanks on what to pray for, we can turn to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, and we can pray that for ourselves. We can pray that for those we love. We can pray that for the church. So let's take a look at it now. Let's see what Paul says here. Ephesians 3, uh, starting verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so the first thing that jumps out at me is easy to, to overlook. And I have looked over it many, many times. And then it, as I was preparing for this, it, it stood out through the help of a commentary. Paul's passion in this prayer. He starts by saying, for this reason, I kneel before God the Father. And kneeling May You may just gloss over that. If kneeling is a part of your regular routine, then maybe this doesn't seem to stand out to you. My normal posture of prayer is not kneeling. It's probably driving. That's where I do most of my prayer. But Paul says, for this reason, I kneel. And kneeling is a big deal. Again, maybe not for you, but in this context. Um, I actually heard a pastor say recently that he puts his phone under his bed every night before he goes to bed, so that when he wakes up in the morning to get his phone, he's forced to his knees. He has to go to his knees to get the phone. And so he starts every morning in prayer that way. For him, kneeling is a normal posture of prayer. For me, and maybe for you, not so much. And for Paul, it also wasn't a normal posture of prayer. 
Uh, if you've ever seen in TV shows or movies or real life um, a Jewish person praying, normally they're standing, they're reciting, pray, they, they read their prayers often, and they're rocking back and forth. That's the normal posture of prayer. Uh, even today, if you were to go to Jerusalem and go to the Wailing Wall, you would see many Jewish people there at the Wailing Wall praying, standing, rocking back and forth. That was the normal posture of prayer. Now, Paul says, I kneel. And Paul wasn't the first person that was like, hey, I bet if I kneel, God still hears me. Like, he wasn't the one who created kneeling while praying. We have other examples of biblical characters doing that. But every time, it's connected to a deep emotional prayer. Solomon, at the completion of the temple, falls to his knees and gives praise to God. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, is on his knees in agony, praying to God. Paul, in Acts, when he leaves the church of Ephesus, he's overwhelmed with emotion, and so he falls and, to his knees and prays for them. And so, when, we, when Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, we see that Paul is passionate about it. That he is passionate about who he's praying to, because he's kneeling before God the Father, but he's passionate about the people he's praying for too. And this, this struck me because it was convicting. How passionate are my prayers? Are my prayers just, well, God, if you're there, if you're paying attention, if there's anything you can do, if you're not too busy, here's what I've got. And we just kind of half-heartedly, with no expectation, throw them up. Or, like Paul, are we moved to our knees, that we fall before God our Father, and with passion we pour out the things that we want to see God do in our lives and in the lives of of others. How passionate are you in prayer? How is your prayer life? I freely admit that my prayer life has been a struggle for me. And I took to reading this summer. I was like, maybe if I can read about prayer, I'll do it better. And so I read Timothy Keller's book called Prayer. And uh, it was it was big book. It was hard to kind of uh, weave my way through. But there was a lot of good things that I was, and a lot of practices that I was able to take from that. So maybe if you're like me and you struggle with your prayer life, if your prayer life's not as passionate as Paul's is, then maybe reading that will kind of help stimulate some ideas, some good patterns to, to create. But we see Paul here going to his knees before God the Father. He's invested in these people. He's passionate, and he really means what he says. He really means what he prays for. And there's three things that he prays for. He prays for strength, he prays for love, and he prays for fullness. And so we're going to look at those three things this morning. The first being strength. And this is probably something that we've prayed for for ourselves before. Strength. Lord, give me strength. Strength for a present trial that we're going through. Or strength for an upcoming challenge that we can see on the horizon. Strength to just get through the day. Strength to keep on going when we feel like giving up. And all of these things are worthy reasons to pray for strength. But I think we can learn something from how Paul prays for it. So he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays for strength, but he prays for strength in our inner being. And the reason is so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. 
The way that someone who is sick needs to take medicine or they need treatment or they need rehab to be able to enjoy all that life has to offer. We too need the Spirit to give us strength so that we can experience all that God has for us. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh can't handle all that God has for us. And so that's why we receive newness of life. That's why we receive the Spirit, so that He can strengthen our inner being so that Christ may dwell in us. He makes us uh, vessels able to contain what God has for us. Jesus says in the Gospels, uh, he talks about how people do not pour new wine into old wineskins. And you may be like, what? Because I think for the most of my life, I had no idea what that meant. Like, I don't, wineskins, I've never seen one. I don't, I don't get the metaphor. But what Jesus is talking about here is if you were, they used wineskins, that's how they held uh wine in like bags, if you will. And as they would get old, they would wear and they would tear. And if you poured new wine into a wineskin that had been used and beaten before, then it would stretch it too far and it would break and you would lose your wine. And so in one way, our flesh is that old wineskin and it's not ready to handle all that God has to pour out into us. And so he gives us first his spirit to renew us, to make us new, to give us new wineskins so that God can pour out all that he has for us. And as we read through the New Testament and we see all that God has for us through the instructions from Paul, through Jesus's words, maybe you can be overwhelmed. It kind of illuminates our own inadequacy that I'm not able to do all those things that God has me to do. And on your own, you're not. In the flesh, you're not. But you've been given the Spirit. You've been given newness of life. And Paul's prayer here is that the Spirit would continue to strengthen you. He would continue to grow your capacity to hold all that God has for you, that Christ would be able to dwell in your hearts. That's Paul's prayer, that this, this new man, this newness of life that we have would continue, continue to be made manifest in us. And as we read through that, who is doing the strengthening? It's the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I pray that you are strengthened through the power of the Spirit. And I think we often go to God and we pray, Lord, give me strength for this, that, or the other thing. But then, practically, we don't wait on God to give us strength. We worry and we try, how can I put these pieces together? Lord, give me strength. And then we go and we try to solve the puzzle for him. We go to friends or co-workers for encouragement. We try to find our strength that way. We try to find strength through being successful. We try to find strength through maybe caffeine, right? We can't do it on our own, so we go to caffeine. And we hope that gives us strength. But whatever it is we're going to strength for, it's not God. It's not the Spirit. Do you draw your strength from the Spirit? Do you acknowledge the Spirit's presence in your life and your need for Him? I find it interesting that Paul prays that God strengthen us, and the way that he, he kind of words it, he says, out of His riches, or uh, in other translations it says, according to His riches. When we ask God to give us strength through the Spirit, 
It's not like asking a, a rich or a wealthy benefactor to give us money. We're asking someone who has no limit to his supply. Someone who is rich can give out of their riches. No matter how much money you have, if you give it to someone else, you now have less money. You're giving out of your riches. But God gives according to his riches. It's in his nature to give to you what he has. And when you pray for strength and he gives it to you, God is not less strong because of that. God's, God's riches are infinite. So when you pray for strength, for peace, for courage, for understanding, for wisdom, and God grants you those things, he did not lose them in giving them to you because God gives according to his riches, his infinite supply. So Paul prays that we are strengthened by the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in us. The Spirit strengthens us and increases our capacity to have Christ dwell in us. Paul continues to pray, and he says that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This idea of being rooted in love, and really these verses were the ones that stood out to me the most when I read these and when I was preparing to go into youth ministry because I read these and I was like, this is what I want. This is what I want to do is to help other people and to increase my own understanding of the love of God, to help people understand how much Christ loved them, how deep, how wide, how long, how deep the love of Christ is, this love that surpasses knowledge. And so this call that Paul places on us to be rooted and established in love is a call to have life, have a life that is defined by love. The defining mark of a believer is to be love. By this you will know them, how they love one another. How are we doing at that? Paul calls us to be rooted and established in love. And there's kind of a mixing of metaphors here because being rooted is obviously an agricultural term or a gardening term. Roots dig down into deep into the soil and that's where they get their nutrients. That's where they feed the plant. That's where it gets its health from. And also that's where it gets its sturdiness from. Trees that are deeply rooted won't be knocked over by winds. Our roots are to be in love, in the love of God, so that our health, our well-being, what feeds us, what drives us is to be love. And then he says to be uh, established or to be grounded, to be founded on love. It's a, an architectural term, to be, have a foundation that is love. Like buildings, which are only as strong as their, buildings are only as strong as their foundations. A weak foundation makes for a weak building. We too are only as strong as our foundations, and our foundations are to be in love. And if they are on a firm foundation, then nothing will be able to shake us. So are you rooted and grounded in love? Is love your defining characteristic? Is love my defining characteristic? When people think of Dave Hallahan, do they think of a loving person? And you can't hear it, but I can still hear my wife's laughter from the first service when I asked that question. Uh, 
it, that's probably not what people think of, but that's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm striving for, is that love would be the defining characteristic of my life. There's a theologian, uh, Donald Barnhouse, who, in speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, he said that love is intrinsic to all of them. Love is the key, he said. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. And self-control is love holding the reins. There are no fruits of the Spirit without love. Love is the key to the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul calls us to be rooted and established in love because love is crucial to the life of the believer. The fruit of the Spirit are to be the characteristics that describe us as those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And so are they defining you? Is love what is missing? Are you defined by love? Are you lacking peace, joy, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, self-control? If one of those is missing, it probably stems from a love issue, whether that's love of yourself, love of others, love of God. How are you loving? Are you rooted and grounded in love? And how can we be? What love should we be rooted and grounded in? The love of Christ. And so Paul moves his attention to the love of Christ, praying that we may have the ability to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep the love of Christ is. And these dimensions are put together not so we can sit together and try to figure out a formula and try to solve, well, how big is God's love? How long do you think God's love is? It's Paul is putting them together to make a point that we can't know how deep, how long, how wide his love is. These four dimensions are put together to show us that the magnitude of God's love is infinite. A love so wide that it covers the entire world. A love so long that it will be felt all throughout eternity so high that it reaches into the heavens, and so deep that, as David says in the Psalms, that even if I were to go to the grave, you would be there. And so Paul prays that we would be able to hold on to this love, hold on to the knowledge of how much God loves us. And it's an impossible task, but what could be more healthy for our souls than to try anyway? What could be better for our spiritual lives than to sit and to just marinate in the love of God? To try to hold on to any peace that we can of how much God loves us. And what are we doing to try to grasp it? When was the last time that you just sat and maybe you listened to a song about the love of God? songs that we sang this morning, How He Loves Us, or Good, Good Father, and just sat down and let them play, and just let it overwhelm your soul how much God loves you. To think about what it means that God, the God of the universe, loves you. Or just to sit and to think about the fact that God of the universe came and became man and lived and died for you. What does that say about the love 
of God. To think about the love of God revealed to us on the cross. To let that just overwhelm you. To sit with God's word and to meditate on passages that talk about his love. To try to just grasp any piece you can of how great God's love is. A passage like this, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, that talks about God's love. Or Romans 8, 31 to 39. Just sit there and read it and just let the truth of it just wash over you. I think far too often we're guilty and I'm guilty of cheapening the love of God and we take it for granted. Once upon a time we hear that God loves us and that that is life-changing. It changes our lives but maybe only for a little while because we let go of that truth and it just becomes old news. Instead of being shocked and amazed by the radical love of God for you, it just becomes second nature. We, we've heard that before. We get it. We, we assume it and then we abuse it. We, we even demand it. We try to tell God that if you really love me, this is how you would show that to me. This is how you should love me. And so we lose sight of what it means to be loved by the God of this universe. We have no grasp of how deep, how wide his love is. And so Paul encourages us to seek that out, to try to gain some understanding of how much God loves you. And so let's do that. Let us return to sitting in awe of God's love. Let it, let it wash over us. Let us get lost in the magnitude of it. And this task that Paul calls us to is not an individual one. Instead, he says, I hope that with all of the saints you are able to understand how much God loves you. This is something that we're called to do together. We do this by hearing God's word preached, by coming to church Sunday morning and to looking into the word and hearing what God has to say from it. We do this by studying the word together, whether that's through the workshop Wednesdays that we provide here, the the Bible study that we'll get to in October, but coming and sitting and interacting with God's word together, digging into it, asking questions, seeking answers with one another. We do this by sharing God's love in our lives, by telling other people, this is how God has loved me. Making it known to other people that this is how I've experienced God's love. We understand it better by seeing it in other people and by calling it out of them. Look, I can see God at work in your life. I can see how God has helped you to grow. I can see how God has provided for you. And that gives us a greater understanding, a better grasp on how much God loves us. We get a better grasp by worshiping together. And it's only in community that we can truly broaden our grasp of God's love. We need to do these things, be in God's word. We need to meditate on God's love together with people who act, look, and think differently than us. That way we can get a greater perspective of who God is and how much he loves us. So what steps are you taking to be reminded of the vastness of God's love? What ways are you intentionally setting up the truth that God loves you in front of your face and just sitting there and just letting it overwhelm you. So Paul prays that we are strengthened in our inner being so that we are better able to to have Christ dwell in us, that our capacity to house 
Christ in us is expanded. He prays that we would, together with a body of believers, come to a better understanding of how much Christ loves us. And finally, Paul prays that we, the church, may be filled with the fullness of God. What does this mean? What does this even look like? Paul, a lot of times, says things that um, are hard to understand, hard to, to know exactly what he means, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does that look like? I think some of Paul's other writings help us grasp that idea a little bit. Colossians 1.19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. So the fullness of God was in Christ. Then later in Colossians, he says, For in Christ all the fullness of God lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. So this is a lofty request that we be filled with the fullness of God. Just as Christ, who he was able to be filled with the fullness of God, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. And so all the fullness of God, all that it means to be God was placed into Christ. And he was able to hold that. Our flesh is too weak. I think this request goes back to the first one, that the Spirit needs to renew us. The Spirit needs to come in and make us new, and He does that at salvation. But if you've come to know Christ, then you know that when you accepted Him, you weren't immediately filled with the fullness of Christ. You weren't Jesus reincarnate. You weren't perfect. If you look at your life, you can see growth over time because the Spirit has been at work in you, strengthening your inner being so that Christ may dwell in you. He's been expanding you, and he's been filling you with the fullness of God. This is an ongoing, continual thing. And so this is Paul's prayer for us, that we would be filled with the fullness of God the same way that Christ was. And this is, this is a big prayer that he's praying. and we, So we need that strength of the Spirit to help us to grow. Whatever capacity we have at the beginning of salvation to hold Christ is made greater as we continue to grow in him, as the Spirit continues to strengthen us and to help us grow. And so this prayer that Paul prays, that we would be strengthened in our inner being, that we would know the love of Christ and that we would be filled with the measure of God is the prayer that I pray for myself. It's the prayer that I pray for my students who come into our youth group, that they would know how much God loves them, that they would be filled with the Spirit. And this is my prayer for our church. This is my prayer for all of God's believers, the whole body of Christ, that we may be strengthened, that we may be rooted in love, and that we may be filled with the fullness of God. And so Paul's prayer is filled with passion. It's filled with these bold requests of God. And it's, it's prayed expectantly. He expects God to do these things for this transforming power to take action in the life of the believers. And there's some high theology in, in all that Paul says. But Paul never just leaves what he knows about God out there. He turns what he knows about God into praise of God. And that's how he finishes this prayer. 
in verses 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to this power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The God to whom Paul prays has the capacity to outdo anything you ask. The requests that you have been bringing to God are too small. The ones that you've been holding back because you're afraid to ask, those ones are too small as well. The things that you can't even imagine, your brain won't even let you entertain because you feel like there's no way God would do that. God can do that and so much more. Paul says he's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And he says that God, the God who created the universe, the God who can do more than we can even ask or imagine, that God is in us. That power is in us, at work in us. Are we living like that's true? Are we living like we have the power of God in us? Or are we kind of just hoping to get by on our own strength? Are we hoping just to make it through the day? Are we just kind of hoping that God is listening? Or do we believe this morning that the God who created us, the God who died for us, is now living inside of us? And we have that power within us. And we can live according to that power. More than we could ask or imagine, our God is waiting and ready to do. We have that power in us. He can do it through us as the church. And so my prayer for us is the same as Paul's, that our inner being would be strengthened, that Christ would live in us, that our capacity to house Christ in us would grow, that when people see us, they would see Christ, that when people see us, they would see people who love, who love so radically, so differently, that it just it blows their mind, and they're pointed only to Christ that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that we wouldn't be missing out on what God has for us, but that we would be living in it. And so that's my prayer for you this morning, that love would be showed in your life, that you would be rooted in it. And I think God is ready to help us to grow, to strengthen our inner man so that we can have Christ dwell within us. We can be strengthened. We can be rooted and grounded in love. So let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray that this prayer of Paul's would be our prayer. Lord, I ask that we would want nothing more than to be rooted and grounded in love. That you would help us together to understand what it means that you love us. What it means that Christ died for us. Lord, this love that surpasses knowledge, I pray that little by little, you would just help us to take hold of it. That it would be the defining characteristic of our lives, but that we could then share that love with others. Lord, as we sang this morning, you are a good, good father. That's who you are. You are defined by your goodness. You are defined by your love. I pray that you would help us to be defined by how you love us. That's who we are, Lord. We are loved by you. Would we find our identity in you? Not in what we can do on our own, not in the things that we've accomplished, not in what other people say about us, but that we are loved by you. May we be rooted and grounded. May we be established in your love this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength 
to be able to experience all that you have for us, Lord, that we would be aware of your Spirit's presence in our life, that we would be relying on the Holy Spirit for our strength. And Lord, I'm excited to see what happens when we do that. I pray as we go from this place, Lord, that we would remember this prayer, that it would be our prayer, and that we could see you taking action in our life. In Jesus' name.